When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Here we go, the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover the Miami Marlins every day in our own way. Full coverage up on fishstripes.com. Check out our website, follow us on every platform imaginable, including subscribing to the podcast. I'm sure most of you already do so. If you haven't yet, leave a rating and review for this on Apple. Every new rating and review that we get down the stretch of the season is an extra dollar that Fish Stripes will donate towards the Players Alliance. Learn everything you need to know about that great organization at theplayersalliance.com and make your own donation if you have the means to do so. It's been about a week and a half since the last time I did a full solo episode of the podcast. During that time, the Marlins have been playing well. This has been quietly their best extended stretch of the entire 2021 season. Unfortunately, it comes at a time of year where it's the least consequential time of the season to be going on this type of run, winning five of their last seven series. Uh, Most of this episode is not going to be about, you know, the the micro sample that we're looking at right now. I'm going to be reviewing bold predictions that were made six months ago at the Marlins season because we have reached a point where just about all those bold predictions have been resolved one way or another, and they were made between myself and Arm Layden of Just Baseball and Locked On Marlins. We'll be reviewing the, the predictions we made, you know, the thought processes that went into them, what went right or wrong to make those predictions, you know, in line or off off pace. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, well, you know, real quickly before getting into that, I do have to comment about you know the two men of the hour for this Marlins team, the rookie outfielders Jesus Sanchez and Brian De La Cruz. I already did a full pod on De La Cruz like a month ago where I was extremely excited about what he had done. You know, even in that really tiny sample early on through the better part of August, I think there were signs that this was like legit. Like the Marlins had found in probably a lasting piece of their organization in exchange for a a pending free agent reliever in Yimmy Garcia, something that very rarely happens. The jury is still very much out on him. Uh, I'll continue to say that the rest of the season, throughout the offseason, the sample is just not big enough. 
Uh, I've gotten a lot of content out of him. I'll have a new article up on him on fishtripes.com shortly as well that I hope you guys check out. He's been terrific in all aspects of the game. And uh, it's there's really no downside to it, you know, other than realizing that his raw stats at the moment, you know, being one of the National League's leading hitters, uh, being 40% better than league average in terms of weighted runs created plus, you know, that stuff will come back down to earth. And there's still more to learn about really all aspects of his game. But I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled for everybody involved. And on top of everything else, he just seems like a really impressive human being that is already being well-liked by his teammates. On Sanchez, he's a guy that I've also held in high regard pretty much you know, throughout the year. He was, right before graduating from my prospects list a couple weeks ago, he was my number six overall prospect. I had him in the third tier of prospects, and I had him as the best outfield prospect remaining in the Marlins organization, mainly because of his bat. You can see it him from watching him and in the measurables as well, both the you know the exit velocity that he registers, his understanding of the strike zone, his presence in the batter's box. Do not over overlook how important that is as well, and his just comfort being at the major league level after falling on his face, frankly, in that first sample that he got in 2020. At this moment, hitting 16% better than league average in terms of WRC plus. He has, I put up this stat on Twitter, he has eight home runs over the past three weeks or so, and the only player in Major League Baseball with more during that span is triple crown, hopeful, AL MVP candidate Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That's the kind of company that he's keeping lately, and he's doing it against all sorts of competition. The power is legit. Uh, I'd say there are some similarities with that tool to somebody like Garrett Cooper, And Cooper is somebody that is kind of top of the scale on the Marlins roster when healthy in terms of his game power. And Sanchez has that attribute to him. Uh, Similar to Cooper, though, we'll have to figure out exactly where he fits in defensively. Because right now, uh, the left field experiment that the Marlins tried earlier this year, it did not go great. And even in right field, there are, you know, just some situations where he makes Poor decisions, despite having the tools to be at least an average defender, if not better than that. And and the same thing goes with base running as well. The same thing goes with in the batter's box, that there's a certain level of um, decision-making that hopefully he can learn over time with enough reps um, and with the right mindset when he's on the field. Uh, At the very least, the bat gives him a very high floor with this organization. Um. So having these two together and the fact that they seem to be great friends with each other, that's makes it even better that both of them are performing so well so early in their career because we have been deprived of that throughout this entire course of the rebuild. It is a, a sigh of relief to know that there's nothing really fundamentally broken with the way that the Marlins coach and develop hitting, that you know maybe there's doing something right and that others can follow in their footsteps. That's the most important part because even if these two guys continue being kind of who they have been this season as rookies, they'll need reinforcements. This lineup does need more. Kim Eng even said as much in a recent inter- interview with in Jacksonville uh, last week that they need more impact bats. They need ones that have been there and done that before. These guys 
for they seem to be a great piece of that combination. Uh, maybe there's a scenario where they turn out to be the centerpiece of a trade in order to get somebody that really does have that long track record. Both of them have really boosted their stocks this year. And that's that's really all you're looking for at this time of year when you know what happens on the field doesn't really matter. That you look for those individual like silver linings and developmental success stories. Both those guys definitely trending in that direction. So now we get to the focus of this episode, which is revisiting bold predictions that were made exactly three, three months, six months ago, exactly six months ago, myself and Arm Layden, we independently came up with five bold predictions each about the 2021 Marlins season. This was recorded right in the middle of spring training games, I guess just past the midpoint of the Grapefruit League schedule. We're going to retrace each of these 10 combined predictions, and I think that will also do a good job of kind of like, you know, summarizing maybe some things that you had been overlooking at this stage of the season in terms of where we thought we were back in March and where we are now, which is a couple weeks remaining in the season. As a side note, this comes perfectly timed with Arnhem's publication of his top 100 prospects in baseball. That's up on JustBaseball.com. We were just talking about a couple rookies, you know, in that first segment with De La Cruz and Sanchez. So we'll keep on that subject when going through this first bold prediction from Aram, which was Trevor Rogers finishing top three in National League Rookie of the Year voting. We'll have to wait at least another month to get, you know, confirmation on that when he's announced as a finalist for the award. But you can lock it up. We had Aram on the podcast in July, I think. And even back then, I told him to take a bow for making this prediction absolutely nailed it with Trevor Rogers, who of course had a kind of a bumpy introduction to the majors in 2020, at least in terms of run prevention. The peripherals were really encouraging though. He made improvements over the offseason, both physically and in terms of pitch execution and sequencing. Those showed up in spring training games. And like even in that setting, knowing how easy it is to be fooled by that. There did seem to be a legitimate uptick in everything about him. He carried that into the regular season. He won National League Rookie of the Month in April and in May. It's really cool and really special. Of course, we know how his season went sideways through no fault of his own, you know, through just a personal emergency situation that the Marlins and him, they decided that he needed time away from the team. And that obviously cut into some of his counting stats. Since he came back from that, he has not been quite the same. The overall body of work, though, is incredible. He is going to finish the season with a sub-3 ERA and a sub-3 fielder independent pitching while being a starting pitcher as a rookie. That is so rare. And he is kind of far and away the best National League rookie pitcher in the league, but it is looking almost a fait accompli that Jonathan India of the Cincinnati Reds, their leadoff hitter, everyday second baseman, he's going to win the award. If it's not unanimous, it could be fairly close to that. When Aram was making this prediction, he came close to predicting Rodgers to win the award outright. He kind of reined that back in and said top three, and that was a wise choice because it was still pretty bold. It was bold because he was not the top rookie of the year candidate on the Marlins roster, in the Marlins projected rotation. I think anybody else would have had 
Sixto Sanchez in a vacuum, you know, as the one that had a better chance of being successful this year. We know that Sixto, unfortunately, was sidelined the entire year by a shoulder injury, and that Rodgers, aside from that episode of back spasms, that he thankfully has been able to make more than two-thirds of the starts that he was scheduled to make entering this year, a huge step in his career. I am pretty comfortable saying that Arm got this one, that no matter what happens in these final closing weeks, it looks like Rodgers could have about three starts remaining, at most maybe two or three, that he is going to finish very high up in those voting. So we'll go now to one of mine. How about it? We'll go from that to another one with a rookie pitcher, one that I made and will clearly miss on, although it was, to be fair, I went really bold with this one. Anthony Bender leading the Marlins in saves. He has three saves for the team right now. As I record this, he's probably going to finish the year with three saves as well. I made the prediction again, going back to spring training, before we knew when and if he'd be on the Marlins roster for sure, I fell in love with him almost as soon as I saw him in his first Grapefruit League games. He came out of nowhere. He was not on my radar when they signed him over the offseason to a minor league deal. As soon as he got in a competitive setting, the stuff was there, both the fastball and the slider, the way they played off each other, the commands that he had. That was something that historically he had lacked And as this season has gone on, it has occasionally been an issue for him as well. But the fact that it was good enough for him to be a big leaguer, to start his career with one of the longest scoreless streaks for any major league reliever ever to begin somebody's career, uh, I was was onto something. It's just an inexact science when it comes to saves because, one, you need to get that opportunity in the first place. And my thought process was that the Marlins would end up trading, rearranging their back end of their bullpen during the year. I wasn't in love with either Anthony Bass or Yimmy Garcia or uh, even Dylan Floro. I thought there would be, you know, some unrest there. And there was, you know, almost immediately Anthony Bass was kicked out of the closers role. Yimmy Garcia filled his shoes and Yimmy Garcia was traded at the deadline And in between, Bender did get a couple windows of time to kind of not even be the full-time closer, but at least being a closer by committee. And unfortunately, he didn't take advantage of it. He had his best work in May and June, and then he hit a pretty big rough patch. And he's been up and down kind of since then. The overall rookie season for him has been terrific. Um, He is... Let's see, does he lead all Marlins relievers in strikeouts this year? 67 of them, and uh, yeah, pretty far and away. The most strikeouts among Marlins relievers. He's only allowed five home runs all year, and uh, yeah, the peripherals and the run prevention kind of line up for him. It was just about the lack of opportunity, and credit to Dylan Floro. So after Yimmy got traded, Floro was part of that committee, and he just gradually separated himself from everybody else. He hasn't been perfect in that role, but he's been pretty great at doing a lot of the things that uh, Bender does, but has a larger track record of being a major league reliever. He has even better control of his stuff as well, and so Floro has locked that down. Yimmy, right now, he leads the former Marlin at this point, leads the team with 15 saves. Floro has a chance to catch him by the end of the year. Floro has 12. Uh, but Bender with three, uh, unless the Marlins win every one of their games down the stretch 
and they win almost all of them close and safe situations, and they use Bender in all those safe situations, it's just not going to happen, uh, unfortunately. Again, the larger point when we make these predictions is about players you know, we feel high about, and uh, I do pat myself on the back for believing in Bender that early on this season. He is going to be a fascinating piece of this Marlins pitching staff moving forward. Going back to Aram, his second bold prediction was his worst. Uh, well, I'll just be frank about that. The one that I was, you know, I wasn't shocked at at the time. You know, I could see where he was going with this. Corey Dickerson earning National League All-Star honors. Eey. You know, the, the first couple weeks of the regular season, he was piling up the hits. I don't know if people remember that. He was hitting in the mid-300s for the early portion of April. He just never really got the other aspects of his game going. The power that we thought might return after a down 2020, it never did. It, defensively, he was limited to left field and nothing spectacular out there. So there was really no point where he was a true everyday starting player for the Marlins. Even once Starling Marte went out for an injury, Garrett Cooper uh, had his inconsistencies. Like Dickerson was still... They he never really had the full confidence of Don Mattingly. The key missing detail was that power and that play discipline that had made him a really desirable player a couple of years ago when the Marlins signed him out of free agency. The stats ended up being, you know, extremely in line with where they had been during the previous previous campaign for him. As a Marlin, he hit 263, 324, 380 slash line. That's below league average. That's an OPS in the low 700s. He only hit two home runs in 63 games. You know what happened from there. Uh, the Marlins were kind of eager to unload him once he suffered an injury. So eager that they ate some of his money, and they essentially gave away Adam Simber in that trade, someone who has thrived since going to Toronto, Whereas Dickerson really hasn't, you know, he had a little hot streak with them shortly after coming back from the injured list, but the overall numbers are extremely similar. A 705 OPS with the Marlins, a 711 OPS with the Blue Jays, where he's playing even less often than he was with the Marlins. So we, Corey is, he's had a really interesting career. We certainly hope for the best for him as he's going to enter free agency after this offseason. Um, but yeah, Arm kind of misfired on that. As we know, Marlins only had one all-star this year, and it was, you know, from his previous prediction, Trevor Rogers. So he more than makes up for this miss with his second prediction. Three down, seven to go. We'll go to one where this is sort of bundling two together because both Arm and I independently came up with predictions for Pablo Lopez that were eerily similar. So the one that I had for Pablo was that he would receive NL Cy Young Award votes. With that award each year, it kind of depends on the particulars of the season, but it's usually between about 6 and 10 or 11 pitchers in each league that get Cy Young Award votes. Most of it is tied to performance, tied to your stats, with a little bit of a narrative splashed in. Uh, Pablo, last year, did have that narrative kind of going for him. He was the one steady piece in the Marlins rotation that was able to make every turn in the rotation and had a career year. I believed that everything he had done in 2020 was sustainable and that there was even room for him to improve a little bit more, throwing his changeup a little bit more, um, working a little bit deeper into games. There was ways for him to 
improve his strikeout numbers and obviously improve his overall workload after being limited earlier in his career by shoulder issues. And the long story short is that any chance he had at making this prediction come true was taken away by yet another shoulder issues, a rotator cuff strain that was discovered right after the All-Star break. He hasn't pitched since then. There's still the door open slightly for him to return to the Marlins roster the final week of the season. But unless he pitches a 50-inning perfect game, something insane like that, he's, he's just not going to have the amazing enough overall numbers to quite crack that club. His, his numbers look pretty similar to 2020 with some mild improvements. I mean, you know that he set a major league record this year at one point, one of his final starts, by striking out nine consecutive Braves batters to start his game that had never been done before in the majors. Overall, a 3.03 ERA, a 3.20 fielder independent pitching, only 10 home runs allowed in 101 innings, well more than a strikeout per inning, doing well against righties, against lefties. He was awesome at home. If he was as well as effective in road games as he was at Lone Depot Park, then maybe he would have been in that conversation. This ties almost perfectly into one that Arm came up with himself. Uh, a separate bold prediction. We did these independently. And the one that Arm came up with is that Pablo would rank top five in National League earned run average. And as I told you, the number he has going into this final stretch of the season is 303. And if you pull up the National League leaders, he doesn't qualify to be a traditional uh, qualifier for the, for the league. This is something that gets to go on a brief tangent. I think the league has to change. They should lower the threshold. Right right now, it's you need to throw one inning for every team game. So for the season, at least 162 innings. But barely anybody does that anymore due to injuries, due to precautionary rests, due to the fact that teams rely more on their bullpen than ever before. So if you lower that threshold to 100 innings so that it just includes Pablo, then you find that he is 15th in the National League in ERA. 15 out of 58. So in the top quarter of the entire National League, not quite as elite as Arm was forecasting him to be, but great. A great season that Pablo was having prior to that shoulder issue. Very important to see if he's able to fully return to being healthy at this very end of the year so that they don't have that injury concern weight like lurking over their entire offseason with him because they have some interesting decisions to look into with their entire pitching staff. And Pablo is a guy who's entering a point of his career where either you see him as a potential trade candidate or a potential extension candidate, and you could always just play it out year by year as well, but he's somebody that has a lot of value either to the Marlins or to another team, especially if he's healthy. That's going to be the key. So we're halfway through. 10 total bold predictions that we put together. And uh, so far, yeah, the only one that was a clear hit was Arm on Trevor Rogers and the National League Rookie of the Year. We'll go to another one of mine here, which will be the Marlins. This is the one that I missed the biggest on, I'd say. The Marlins defense ranking number one in Major League Baseball. I kept that vague and open-ended, but it was with the idea that through some combination of defensive efficiency, through stats like defensive runs saved, just the overall perception of the team, that the Marlins fielding would be 
as good as anybody's in the league. And that hasn't been the case. Um, the biggest reason why I missed fired on this was coming down to personnel, just the individual players that ended up playing the most for the Marlins, where I liked the bounce back potential of their veteran outfielders. So some of that was Corey Dickerson, uh, optimism that Starling Marte and Adam Duvall would age well. And that was, that was kind of on the money, wasn't it? With Marte and Duvall. Unfortunately, they ended up trading both Marte and Duvall at the deadline so that took a big bite into it. Uh, I thought Miggy Rowe would be really steady at shortstop, which he has been. And I thought Brian Anderson is still extremely underrated. This could be the year that he made that leap to be a true gold glove contender. And unfortunately, with B.A., he was playing great defense, but more than half of his season was wiped out with that shoulder injury that will now require surgery. Uh, some guys I thought we'd see more of that we really didn't until the very end is is Lewin Diaz. Um, I thought they'd find a way to squeeze him into the team early in the season, that once he got called up at some point that he would be there to stay. And we know the Marlins, they had a very different philosophy when it came to that. They did not call him up on a permanent basis until just this past week when Jesus Aguilar suffered what seems to be a, a season-ending knee injury. The number of reps that he's going to get is just a tiny fraction of what I think was reasonable to forecast for him. He was a pretty su substantial defensive upgrade at first base compared to just about anybody else on the Marlins roster that they weren't getting. I was hoping for a career year defensively for Jorge Alfaro. I was not really buying into any sort of change in his, his plate approach, which is notoriously terrible. He just seemed to have a great understanding that he was in a make-or-break year here in 2021. He talked about putting in the work over the offseason to address that, to become a more well-rounded defensive catcher after being inconsistent in that regard, after being benched for the playoffs in 2020. He had all the motivation he needed being in a situation where his career is going just year by year, that he knew the urgency to figure it out on that end. As it played out, he just, it didn't translate at all. Whatever work that he was putting in during the offseason, it didn't help. It got so bad that for this final two months of the schedule, he has been relegated to a part-time left fielder and an emergency first baseman. They moved him off the position entirely because they lost so much hope in him being able to contribute on that side of the ball and while also, you know, being able to keep his focus on the bat as well. Uh, we, we've talked about that, how asinine it is, the way that they've handled him. But it, it just starts with the fact that he was did not take that step forward defensively that a lot of people, myself included, thought he was capable of doing. Yeah, I could go through even others on the list. Jazz, Jazz Chisholm, who we'll be getting to in just a few minutes. Jazz has not had the defensive season that we thought he might have. He got off to a really nice start as their second baseman. Ever since coming back from that very first injury, that hamstring injury um, in that suffered in late April, he hasn't been as good. And we know he's been really overmatched as a shortstop in those opportunities. Also at second base, just a lot of routine stuff that he is overcomplicating it. So when you put it all together, there's been, I think, this miss misrepresentation of the defense that just because they're among the major league leaders and errors that they are at the very bottom of the defensive scale. I don't think that's accurate that 
you really put it all together, they're right around the middle of the pack, if not slightly above average. The kind of ground that these guys cover, the smart defensive positioning that the Marlins have to put their guys in positions to be successful and to be able to catch up to balls that they ordinarily wouldn't. It's it's fine. It's fine. But it needs to be a greater strength of this team moving forward. I believe that it can be with some of the pieces that they have in place. Uh, this year, unfortunately, it wasn't there for them. And it's one reason why, you know, the pitching, this flows perfectly into another one of Arm's bold predictions about the team ERA. He thought the Marlins pitching staff would rank top three in the National League in earned run average. Well, I should clarify that. You know, his bold prediction was that they could do this. Remember, these are all purposely bold, that we made these predictions known that the likelihood of them coming true wasn't great. Going out on a limb, he thought the Marlins would crack the top three in National League in ERA, and that's not going to happen. And it's really, even before you go into exactly what happened with the Marlins, it's more so just three amazing teams separating themselves. It's the Dodgers, it's the Giants, it's the Brewers have been amazing at pitcher run prevention. The Dodgers as a team, as we go to the final weeks of the season, they have a team ERA below three, which is otherworldly to maintain over a full-length season. The Brewers and the Giants, just you know, credit to them. They These were not perceived to be great teams heading into regular season by any measure. And as it turns out, the Giants have the best record in baseball, and the Brewers are not that far behind the Giants and the Dodgers. Teams, Both those teams have already punched their ticket to be in the postseason, led as much as anything by their great pitching staff. So, so those teams are kind of out of reach. The Marlins are above average in terms of ERA in the National League, where they can finish anywhere from 4th to 7th. And it seems, the way things are trending, it looks like they'll be like six or seven in the National League. Again, still above average, even at a time where Lone Depot Park is playing more hitter-friendly than ever before. In general, still favors pitchers, but they keep bringing in those fences every couple of years. It is going to catch up eventually in, in changing those conditions. Led, of course, by more so than anybody else, Sandy Alcantara. And that's the guy I'm kicking myself about because he's the one that if you look at the bull predictions that Arm and I had about Pablo, you know, Sandy has really eclipsed him this year by taking yet another step forward in this game. The most important part is that he's just been so durable. He's been even not just from start to start, but within starts from ending to ending. He is a perfect role model for all the Marlins pitchers coming up in this organization about how to continually make adjustments and get better. So he's the one that has put that brought that ERA in the right direction just due to the sheer volume of his reps. Both Pablo and Trevor have been great, just as good in terms of ERA when they've been available, although both of them, of course, as I mentioned, have missed some time this year. In the bullpen, I touched on some of these guys as well. Anthony Bender, Dylan Floro, sub-three ERAs from both of those guys. Really, the main culprit here was the back end of that rotation. The injuries that they had from the very beginning of the year with Sixto and Eliezer Hernandez. When Eliezer Hernandez got back, he, he's he been up and down a little bit. He has not been the best version of himself uh, due to more so than anything, I, I point to his command just being not as precise as it was during the shortened season. All the other guys filling their shoes 
at the back end of the rotation, it's been messy. We got a little bit of Nick Nider, Braxton Garrett. Jordan Holloway had his moments, but also, especially when he was putting a starter's role, it just did not work for him. So many openers. The Marlins, of course, by far set a record for using the most total starting pitchers in franchise history this year. They have used 18 different starting pitchers this year, and most of them have been below average when they've been in that role. The future looks super bright. Uh, If Arm wants to double down on that prediction next year for them to finish top three in the National League in ERA, I don't even think you'd call that a bold prediction. They are well set up to do something like that moving forward. So we are through seven bold predictions. A quick refresher. These combined between Arm Layden and myself. Trevor Rogers finishing top three in National League Rookie of the Year. That's on the money. Uh, All these other ones so far have been fairly off in one way or the other. Corey Dickerson earning a National League All-Star selection. Pablo Lopez ranking top five in National League ERA or earning National League Cy Young award votes. Marlins pitching staff ranking top three in National League ERA. Anthony Bender leading the Marlins in saves. And the Marlins defense ranking number one in Major League Baseball. One for six so far. My second to last one, for myself individually, so number eight out of our 10 combined. Let's talk about Jazz. Jazz, I had him hitting 20-plus home runs this season in his rookie season, his first full major league season after the cup of coffee last year. I was feeling pretty good those first opening weeks of the season when he was barreling up Jacob deGrom. Everybody remembers that, and not just him. He had a handful of home runs in April before before that first injury. He was in one moment, leading all baseball qualifiers in barrel rate, which tends to be a important predictor of hitting for power in games moving forward. And when you look at his season overall, it's been fine relative to expectations and more than fine if you consider where the Marlins thought they were with this second base situation entering the year. He, He absolutely has the potential to be a good everyday player for a number of years. And he, he would, he's done things this year that should improve as he gets older. This is not the peak that Jazz is back to. For whatever reason, he has not been barreling the ball nearly as frequently as the season has worn on as he was earlier in the year. You know, forget everything else. Uh, like there are certain things you could kind of understand a guy not being able to sustain through, over the course of a long season, especially when you're inexperienced. It has been a bit of a head-scratcher that he fell off so much with that home run pace. When he does barrel it up, it goes a long way. I think his average home run distance is right up there with the best on the entire Marlins team. He reached on a fielder's choice in the sixth inning, and Jazz hits one a ton. That is long gone into the upper deck. Jazz Chisholm Jr. gives the Marlins an eighth-inning lead. As we record this, with 16 Marlins games to go, he is at 15 home runs. Can he hit five over the last 16 games? Potentially, it's possible. That would just be the pace that he was at the very start of this year. I would call that unlikely. So this is the one that we still don't have like a final clarification on which way it's going to go, but I can say kind of objectively that it's unlikely he'll hit that mark in terms of home runs. What he's been missing also a little bit is I would thought he would be able to hit homers to all fields 
And let me pull up the splits right now. At least anecdotally and by the eye test, I feel like almost all of his home runs this year have been pulled home runs instead of being able to uh, use the whole field. Yeah, only one home run that went truly to the opposite field all season. He has hit a couple to center field as well, to dead center. But I thought he'd be using the opposite field a little bit more. That's kind of one key ingredient that's uh, been missing for, for Jazz that I thought that when you also look at the way he's been hitting, let's look at it against left-handed pitching when he's at that platoon disadvantage. Um, those numbers overall have been fine, actually extremely similar against both lefties and righties. Yeah, so so that really hasn't been an issue with him, but yeah, not quite as disciplined as the season has gone on and not getting into as many favorable counts as he potentially could do moving forward. This is another one where if we look at 2022 and you predict that Jazz is going to hit 20-plus home runs, that is not bold at all because he has that firm lock on the second-base job at this point, and it's no longer a doubt. I, I think this was a nice... The process behind this was sound, in my opinion, because this is one we made in spring training before the end of spring training when Isan Diaz was still neck and neck with him in terms of making it on the opening day roster. It was not a sure thing that Jazz would be on the opening day roster. In 2021, when I made this pick in the first place, I was pretty confident that he would eventually take over as an everyday player and that he would certainly outperform Isan which has proven to be very, very true. But reaching 20 will be a tough one down the stretch. So uh, something he'll do in the future, I I may have been a little bit premature on that. So final two bold predictions to review. This is one where we went head-to-head. Arm and I, we came up with these completely separately, but both of us had an individual minor league player in mind that we thought would have a big year. And he went with Griffin Conine, and I went with Cameron Meisner. These predictions made, I think, before even minor league spring training even started. So we didn't know that these guys would actually start the season as teammates. Both of them were assigned to high A Beloit, playing pretty much every single day to start the year. Uh, Meisner played really all three of the outfield spots, Conine was mostly in the corners and with plenty of designated hitter reps as well. Both guys that were early round draft picks coming out of college, but had not had the opportunity to play a full length minor league baseball season until now. And my big thought process was going with Meisner, which is pretty much the same as from Arm's perspective, is that we thought these guys, even if they did have this amazing year, they were a little too far down on the outfield depth chart to actually break through to the majors. So they'd be putting up these numbers in the minor leagues and they would be contenders for the Marlins minor league player of the year honors. That's what these bold predictions were being the top organizational position player. Uh, The process that the team uses to determine that is a little bit fuzzy. Just looking at precedent, it's guys that play pretty much every day that put up a lot of home runs that hit for a high average that are just really good, mostly offensive players over the course of a full-length season. Uh, Arm took a big lead, what might prove to be an insurmountable lead over me in this category, because Griffin Conine, through the first couple months of the season, was fantastic. He was better than, I think, even Arm envisioned, leading all of minor league baseball in home runs for the vast majority of the season. 
He hit, I believe it was 22 of them at at double at high A Beloit before finally forcing a promotion um, to the next level. And they really had to contort the roster kind of to squeeze him on. 23, excuse me. He had 23 home runs in 66 games, more than one every three games, basically hitting two home runs every week at the high A level. OPS at 969 prior to his promotion. The strikeouts were there, and they have always been there, and they will continue to be there with Griffin Conine. There's going to be just a cap on his ability to get hits just because of all the swing and miss in this game. When he was making contact, it was going a long way. It was going to all fields. It was an awesome show and understandably an incredible story for the son of Mr. Marlin, Jeff Conine. Meanwhile, with Cameron Meisner, he was slow out of the gate, really slow. He was drawing his walks. That is a trait that he's always had, being really disciplined, being very patient. He was contributing, of course, to Beloit, an extraordinary base runner and base stealer as well. Uh, As I'll reference now, and we'll go back to in just a moment, Meisner was a guest on the new episode of Swimming Upstream, the podcast from Fish on the Farm, where uh, he talked about his base stealing secrets, or at least he hinted at it, being able to time up the pitcher and get to a certain point and turning it into a math equation in terms of being whether or not he'd be able to reach the next base in time. And to this point in his career, it has worked out fabulously, certainly with the boost from having certain rule changes in high A this year that made it even easier to steal than before. He was taking advantage of it. He just wasn't hitting for impact for the first couple months of this minor league season, which was also kind of the case in his his previous year in 2019 as well, something to be a little bit concerned about. And it ticked up for him right around the start of July, especially as we got towards the end of July. That's when he really started being a run producer. Most of that, actually right after Griffin got promoted to double A, then Meisner became... um, like the one guy to circle in their lineup and he thrived on it. So he had a streak in there where I think he reached base like 30 consecutive games and he himself, he forced his way up to double A as well. So once again, as I record this, they've now been teammates for the final few weeks of the season at double A Pensacola, uh, both of them playing close to every day uh, in the outfield for, for Pensacola and Meisner has stayed hot. He as we enter play on Wednesday night, hitting 333 with a 943 OPS since getting the move up, drawing a lot of walks, hitting a ton of doubles. A stat that Alex Carver brought up on Fish on the Farm that he leads the Marlins organization with 29 doubles, more than anybody else at any other level of the organization. And one thing he said on the podcast, and I have a quote here about kind of what clicked for him as the season went on. Just being aware of my overall swing, he said. Just knowing myself has allowed me to spit on pitches that my swing doesn't play well with, and it has allowed me to get to pitches that my swing does play well with. As simple as that. It's just knowing, playing to your strengths as a player and being able to bear up the ball once you do so. He really does bear up the ball. Great. So we get to this point, the season is winding down. This is the final few days of the minor league regular season, which is why I'm recording this now. 
it's you'd be surprised, you know, how similar now their seasons look. Where Conine has an 866 OPS, Meisner has a 795 OPS, but Meisner adds a lot more value as a base runner. 26 stolen bases in 30 tries compared to Conine with just three stolen bases. Um, in terms of on base percentage, Meisner at 358 and Conine at 332. In terms of extra base hits, it's still a, a pretty significant lead for Conine, 49 extra base hits, including 36 home runs, which is still second best in all of minor league baseball. Meisner has 46 extra base hits. And, you know, just to, to stop teasing you along, based on how this stuff usually goes and with the narrative backing him up, Conine is the favorite to win minor league player of the year. Uh, really, the only guys that could steal it from him would have to be ones that uh, we haven't even brought up. Peyton Burdick, who was a very highly regarded prospect entering this year, and as he's a nice fusion kind of of Meisner and of Conine with his his aggressiveness and also with his power and also with his outfield versatility and all that. Like Burdick has had a a very comparable years to these guys, even without the one standout stat to back him up. And Troy Johnston, who really was under the radar entering 2021, starting in low A, spending most of the season in high A, where his offensive production has been arguably better than any of these other guys. As a run producer, as an on-base machine, his consistency has been certainly better than either Conine or Meisner. But, you know, just to wrap it up, I do think Conan is going to win. And I think even the fact that it's even close gives a lot of credit to Arum over me because Meisner was the consensus, quote unquote, better prospect entering 2021. That might still be the case, but it has not necessarily made him the better candidate for this award this season. Arum believed in Griffin's work ethic and the adjustments that he'd made. They paid off. They certainly have to put together a really memorable year for him. So it's one definitive bold prediction that Aram nailed with Trevor Rogers, and this one is pretty close to a lock as well with Griffin Conine winning Minor League Player of the Year. I, I think I did fine with the Cameron Meisner one. He did have a good year. Um, I'll be curious to see whether he plays in Fall League. He's He's no doubt going to get an invite to Major League Spring Training next year, and I think he's on track to have a nice, nice career either with the Marlins or with another team. And I got close with the Jazz Chisholm one, too. If he had just stayed healthy, um, avoid those nick cuts and bruises, and like he would have had that fairly easily if that had been the case. And even now, you know, he has, if everything goes right for him down the stretch, maybe he has a chance to take care of that. Again, I encourage you to Check out all of Aram's stuff, Locked On Marlins podcast, everything on Just Baseball, including the podcast that he does with Jeff Conine. If you are not familiar with that, Outside the Box with Jeff Conine has been a fantastic show that debuted this summer and does a great job of balancing Mr. Marlin's memories from his playing career and also his foresight into where the game is headed moving forward be sure to uh, check that out and another plug for fish on the farm and their swimming upstream podcast that was featuring my guy cameron meisner all right already gotta start culminating ideas for those 2022 
bold Marlins predictions because I'm pretty satisfied with the variety that we covered on this one. Thank you as always for the support. Remember to leave a rating and review for this pod if you hadn't already to help us in our donation to support the Players Alliance. Covering the Marlins every day here on Fish Stripes, I'm Eli Sussman. Go Fish! Thank you.